0: Okay, uh, does anybody have, I did this at the first service, it didn't work that well, but let's try again. <laughs> does anybody have a £2 pound coin on them that I can just borrow? £2 pound coin? See, that's what happened in the first service as well. <laughs> Everyone looks, nope, no money. I know what you're like. Anybody? £2 pound coin? Somebody must, oh, fantastic. Um, thank you. Does anybody know what it says on the, on the edge of a £2 pound coin? Except for those who were in the first service. <laughs> yeah. Anyone know what it says? Well, let me tell you what it says. It says... Not running with endurance. There. It, is. it says, standing on the shoulders of giants. That's awesome, thank you. Um, <laughs> does anybody have a £20 pound note? <laughs> it's worth a try. Uh, yeah, I'm going to fast that one back. <laughs> thank you. Um, standing on the shoulders... Of giants and this was a statement made by um, uh, Isaac Newton who said if I have seen a little further it is by standing on the shoulders of giants obviously talking about scientific discovery but before Isaac Newton uh, 500 years before in fact there was a theologian called John Salisbury who used the same phrase or similar phrase in, in another statement he said we are like dwarfs sitting on the shoulders of giants we see more and things that are more distant than they did, not because our sight is superior or because we are taller than they, but because they raise us up, and by their great stature, they add to ours. And so I thought this was a really interesting um, phrase and quite applicable to this series that we've been on, um, looking at the great giants of faith. In Hebrews, we've been our series running with endurance, but based around um, all the uh, those heroes, those uh, heroes of faith we find in Hebrews chapter eleven, or from the Old Testament, and and it's been a great series. And today is the final part of this. And as you saw from the feature, next week we're moving to a new series, movement and multiplication, which I'm, I'm, again I'm really looking forward to. Um, But we've been looking at, over the course of the last uh, six or seven weeks, we've looked at Enoch and Rahab and Jacob and Noah and Abraham. And um, we've been looking at how their faith inspires our faith. And we know that faith is important. Because again, in that same passage, in that same chapter of Hebrews, it tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and must believe also that he rewards those who sincerely um, seek him. Um, It doesn't say without faith it is tricky to please God, or it doesn't say without faith you might not be able to please God. It says it is impossible to please God. So as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus... We know that faith is important. And it describes a little bit about what that faith should look like. It said that faith needs to look like, um, first of all, number one, that we must believe that God exists. That's kind of fundamental. If you're going to believe in God, you first of all got to believe that he exists. And then second of all, that he rewards those who earnestly or sincerely uh, seek him. Um, So Abraham, he was uh, talked about last week by Mark. He talked about... um, what Abraham did and how his faith inspires us. It was a great message last week. If you missed it, I recommend you get the podcast and have a listen to it. Um, but Abraham, we know, was called to go on a journey. He was called to go on a journey from the land that he was born and raised in, where he lived. Um, he was born and raised in a place called Ur. Uh, everybody say Ur. Uh. 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 So if you, anybody asked Abraham where he came from, he said uh, um, it's a strange thing to say, but there we go. So he was on this physical journey from the land where he lived to the land that uh, God told him to, to go to. And there's a kind of parallel with Abraham and our own lives, because we're also on a journey. When we decide to become a Christ follower, we start a journey. It's not a physical journey like Abraham's. It's a spiritual journey. Um, but it's no less real. And in fact, you might even say that it's more real, with more profound implications, with eternal uh, destination in mind. Um, So we can relate to Abraham in this way. We also know that Abraham's journey was was hard and it was long. And he had challenges and disappointments and he had setbacks and he had doubts along the journey. And I think in our spiritual journey, we can find ourselves having disappointments as well and setbacks and challenges and doubts sometimes Uh, so we can relate to Abraham's journey in that way Uh, verse 8 of chapter 11 talks a little bit about that journey it says by faith Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his his inheritance obeyed and went and Mark picked up a little bit last week about uh, Abraham's obedience even though he did not know where he was going and by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Um, So Abraham, he lived in tents. And in fact, over the course of the summer, I've been uh, studying the book of Hebrews, um, really enjoying actually getting, getting right into it. And I arrived at this chapter 11 Um, a couple of weeks ago when uh, Fru and I and our family were all camping in Devon and it was a pretty wet and muddy week and I woke up early one morning and the rain was coming down it was really noisy on the tent but everybody else was still asleep and I was kind of picked up my uh, iPad and I was reading the Bible and I, came and I read this, this verse with Abraham living in tents. And I was thinking about all the rain coming down and all the mud building up outside our tent and underneath our tent. And I could relate to Abraham, who was looking forward to his city with foundations. I also, at that moment, was looking forward to a home with foundations and made of bricks. Um, but Abraham, he didn't know where he was going. He says uh, he did not know where he was going, so he made his step by faith. And we are also going to need faith on the journey that we're on. Um, we do have some idea of our eternal destination, but along the way, things are going to happen, and that we don't know. It, you know. God moves us to a place, and we don't know how it's all going to pan out um, as we go on the journey. So we need to have faith. In fact, we need to have Confidence. And Hebrews 11 verse 1 explains that faith actually is confidence uh, in what we hope for. And it's and faith is assurance about what we don't see. And so in the book of Hebrews, the word confidence comes up quite a lot. Uh, tied to faith, we're told to have confidence in Christ. We're told to approach God's throne of grace with Confidence. And we're told to um, have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And we're also told in Hebrews that we, we can have uh, confidence that we've got a helper, that we have somebody who's going to help us on our journey, the Holy Spirit. And so many times on his journey, Abraham was tempted to go back. He was tempted to go back to his origins, uh, origins and those difficult times when he was having doubts. And I think we can also be tempted to go back. You know, we've made a commitment to, uh, to Jesus and to God and to, and to follow this way. And sometimes it gets hard. And sometimes we have those doubts. So, you know, should I really keep pushing on? Should I really keep enduring? Should I really keep going? And the good thing is, we're not alone in that. The whole book of Hebrews is about that. You see, there were these um, <coughs> Jews who had become... Christians they were um, uh, those who would follow Judaism and they had uh, seen uh, Jesus and and, uh, Jesus as the way and they had accepted Jesus as the way and they had changed and they had decided to follow Jesus but what happened is they were scattered everywhere we read through Acts that the church got scattered and so they were all over um, Europe and Asia um, and they were getting persecuted they were really really feeling it they were getting martyred and killed and um, lots and lots of pressures against them. And they were tempted to go back. And you can understand, with that, uh, that amount of challenge they're facing, they were tempted to go back to the life that they had. But the book of Hebrews is the writer saying to them, don't, don't do it, you've made this decision, keep going. Um, and what the writer does throughout the book of Hebrews is he takes these pillars of the Jewish faith the things that they held important and he, said, and he compares them to Jesus. And his response is, um, look, you know, Jesus is greater than all these things, all these things that you, that you used to hold dear, all these things that used to be so important to you as part of your Jewish faith. Jesus is better than all those. I'm not going to spend too much time looking at these. Feel free to write them down. The screen will be up for a couple of minutes. But if you, if you go through the book of Hebrews, um, Uh, In chapter 1, we read about Jesus being greater than the prophets. We read Jesus being greater than angels. And we read in uh, chapter 3 about, he, he compares him to Moses. And we know Moses was really important in the Jewish tradition. He was the guy that brought the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. But the writer says, but Jesus, you know this, Jesus is greater than Moses. And Jesus is greater than the priesthood of Aaron. Which again was really important for the Jewish tradition, and Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, and Jesus is even greater than Abraham, so important patriarch, the, the great father of faith, Jesus was more important than Abraham, Jesus is more important than that tab than the tabernacle, this, this tent you set up, where the Holy of Holies uh, where, you know, even though God prescribed this, we now have Jesus, and he 's greater than the tabernacle, Jesus is greater than the old covenant that what you used to live in Jesus' sacrifice is greater than the old testament sacrifices it accomplishes more and it accomplishes it forever and jesus presence is greater than god's presence on mount sinai so what they have is saying what you have now please remember don't go back what you've got now jesus is greater you have jesus now and he's better than all these things remember endure to the end because jesus is better than all these things and what we have now in our lives now there's a parallel is infinitely greater than what we had before and sometimes we forget sometimes we forget and we have doubts and things creep into our minds and say oh that life i used to live it was it was it was good and i felt successful but we know actually we know that the life we have now with jesus is so much better so much more fulfilling and we are replacing that life that we did have with something that's greater. Another camping metaphor now. Um, A couple of years ago, Fru and I decided for our family that we were going to be a a camping family. We were going to go camping uh, for our summer holidays and we started that a couple of years ago. And when we did, um, uh, you know, when you start camping, you've got to buy a lot of equipment, you need a tent, but you also need beds and sleeping bags and, and lots of other things as well. And we decided we needed to have a a box to keep everything cool and fresh. In so um, rather than going to buy a cool box, I decided to do what my father had done and make a cool box. (laughs) And you're all thinking, yeah, that's a disaster right there. (laughs) Um, But I did. We had this um, polystyrene um, box uh, that had been delivered with some food in it. And I wrapped it in cardboard and I put gaffer tape around it. And I was given a roll of gaffer tape for my birthday with penguins printed on it. I thought, that's perfect for a cool box. So I wrapped this whole cool box with penguin gaffer tape, and it looked amazing. This cool box, I was so proud of this cool box, and we used it for a couple of years, and it was, it was fine. It did the job. And then this year, we went to New Wine, and we were camping at New Wine next to um, Dave and Jay Dixon. Now, in their tent, they didn't have a cool box. They had a camping fridge. (laughs) A proper fridge. Now, a camping fridge is amazing because you can plug it into electricity or you can plug it into your gas. Um, So if there's no electricity on site, you can still have a a fridge when you're camping. And I looked at this thing and I looked at my penguin-covered cool box (laughs) and suddenly my penguin-covered cool box just didn't look as good anymore. And, And we came home from that holiday and I said to Fru we need a camping fridge, <laughs> If we're going to go camping, we need a camping fridge, and Fru went, yes we do, <laughs> we need a camping fridge. So we bought a camping fridge and we used it on our last holiday of this summer, and it was great not having to get ice packs, so it, it kept fresh food, food fresh for days, and it was really successful, but I could look back, I could go, yeah, but this camping fridge is kind of beige and boring. It doesn't have penguins on it like my cool box did, and I could maybe think, oh, do you remember my old cool box? That was so good. It's not as good. It's not as good. It doesn't suit." Now I know you're thinking, they're sitting there thinking he's comparing Jesus to a fridge. <laughs> and is that the right analogy to use? I don't know, but it's the only analogy I've got. And and we, you know, we have. So- I have something better now. So. Although, you know, might be tempted to look back, I don't. And the same with Jesus. We, we have something better. Our life now is infinitely better yeah. with Jesus than it is without him. Yeah. There you go. You can clap that. That's a good thing to clap. So, despite struggles and despite challenges, we are exhorted to endure. And despite doubts, we've got to keep going. And sometimes we have challenges come against us, and sometimes the challenges are of our own making. We make mistakes in life. Right, we do. We make mistakes. And there's a story I heard this summer of a, a worker, a guy who worked for Microsoft for Bill Gates, and he, developing software, and he made a mistake. And it cost Microsoft $4 million to correct this mistake that this worker had made. And you could imagine, if you were that guy, How you would feel. You'd feel, oh my goodness, that is terrible. And what happened was this guy went into Bill Gates' office and he had his letter of resignation all ready. And he said to Bill, look, I know this software issue was completely my fault. I made a mistake. Here's my resignation letter. And Bill Gates took the letter and he ripped it up. And he said, resign? I've just spent $4 million on your education. Why would I want you to resign? And he's absolutely right. And we make mistakes. But what do we do? We learn from them. We're educated by them. And we become better. We become stronger. We become, we become all the fitter for making the mistakes. And we learn. And we move on. And we endure. And we use those mistakes as stepping stones to a better place. So today we're going to focus on um, chapter 12 of Hebrews. So chapter 11 of Hebrews is listing all these, these giants of faith. And then chapter 12 um, uh, kind of recaps and, 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 and moves on. And we've had a look at it a little bit over the previous weeks. Um, but what, what it does is it, it, it moves from the journey analogy to a race analogy. Okay. And they're two different things. And so, yeah, we are on a journey. But the writer at the beginning of chapter 12 said, actually, it's more like a race. It's not just a journey. And a race is harder than a journey. You can take your time on a journey, but you can't do that when you're in a race. Now, Fru will probably tell you that I often do treat journeys like a race. Um, I, if we're driving somewhere, which we've done a lot, we've done, been to Devon a few times this summer, and you know it's a five or six hour journey, I like to get there. I don't like to stop for anything, So, just before we leave the house, you'll find me standing outside the downstairs toilet saying, Have you squeezed the last drop out? I'm not stopping. <laughs> We're going all the way. And I'm a bit, a, bit, a bit harsh about not stopping when I'm on a journey. I want to get there. Um, but the writer of Hebrews is encouraging the readers to think of their, their Christian life, the decision they've made, as a race. Now, we know that a race has a winner and it has losers. There are winners and there are losers in a race. But the losers are not each other. We're not running against each other here. Okay? We don't, although sometimes you might think we are when you hear people talking about other Christians and other denominations. Um, it's not right. We're running together yeah. and we're all winning together. The, the loser is yourself. okay? You're battling, you're racing against your own, your own nature. You're racing against that part of you that wants to stop, that wants to give up, that wants to go back. And we need to um, put all our force and all our attention on that part of us that is going to win, that is going to endure. That side of us, there's a side of us that wants to take it easy. Because following Jesus can be, actually, following Jesus is invariably hard, okay? No one says that it's an easy thing to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself said, if you follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. And not just sometimes. Not just once a week on a Sunday. says, you're going to have to take up your cross daily. It's an everyday thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I wouldn't give up this life for anything in the world because it's a better life. It is brilliant. I love being a follower of Jesus. But that doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean it's easy. So, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Let's just have a quick look at this now. First verse, we're going to look at the first three verses. First of all, let's just unpack this first verse. Therefore, so we've gone through all these heroes, these giants of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. And the first thing I want to point out here is there's a lot of inclusive language in this verse. There's a lot of plural things going on. He says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us run. It's not let you or let me. It's us. There's a, there's a community aspect to this. And there's a, there is a, dyna- a dynamic that comes from uh, working together on something uh, that enables us to run better, enables us to run faster, enables us to run further and endure more than we would without community. Yeah. This is a race we're all running together and we can encourage one another in this race. Over the last couple of weeks, I know Vlad two weeks ago brought a um, story of him, his own running around the park when he got tired after 10 minutes. And then last week, Mark also brought his running analogy. He had been running on the treadmill and he did 10 kilometres and he was running with his eyes closed. Do you remember that? He was talking about running with his eyes closed. I was listening there thinking, no, actually, you weren't running. You were sleeping. You were dreaming. It, mate. <laughs> that's why your eyes were closed. Um, but I've got my own running analogy. Um, I uh, kind of run a couple of times a week and... Um, ever since I broke my leg in 2011 and I started doing physio on my leg, I just got into running and I, I just kept, kept going because it was a good way of staying healthy. Um, and I tend to do about three and a half, four miles. So it's not that far, but it's kind of enough. And at the beginning of the summer, I came down one morning ready to go for my run. And, and JJ uh, was there. He was already up, my uh, son, and he said, can I come with you, Dad? And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure... I like, you know, when I'm running, I like to run at a pace. I don't like, really like to run with people because I know I can go at my own pace. Um, I don't want to go as fast as them. Um, and when I'm running, I, I, I like to pray and I like to talk to God about stuff and I, um, I get most of my sermons when I'm running. Um, but I said, okay, yeah, you can come with me. He said, I'm going to come on my bike. I said, okay, well, that's all right. You can come on your bike and you can cycle along, along with me. And I was a little bit... Um, you know, nervous about it. Is it going to really work? And we started, and about, about 30 seconds into me, he went, Dad, you're brilliant, you're doing so well. I'm like, well, am I? OK, I am, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm running well. And, and every minute, or every two minutes, JJ would look over and say, keep going, Dad, you're doing brilliantly, <laughs> you're fantastic. I go, like, oh, yeah, I am, I'm doing well, I'm doing so well. Dad, I don't know how you're keeping this up. I couldn't keep this up for this long. You're, this is fantastic. How do you do it? We're going up a hill now, and you're still going the same pace. Dad, this is awesome. Of oh course, it's great. <laughs> and, and so, and I got back and I, I always um, I use my Apple Watch and I time my run and I tell it that I'm doing a workout. And I, I I got back and I and I stopped my clock. And normally I do my run in about 26, 27 minutes, and it was in just over 25 minutes. I would finished this run, and I was like, this is two minutes faster than I normally do it in. JJ, you're coming with me every time. This is is brilliant. You can come every single time I run. I need you. Um, So what we do, we run this race. We endure this race, but we do it together, and we encourage one another, and we can run further, and we can run faster, and we can run harder, and we can run better together than we can do alone. Also, if we look at this verse, it tells us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. Now, in week one, I don't know if you remember, Mark brought out that there's this distinction between the two things. There's sin, but there's also other things that hinder us. Everything that hinders and sin that easily entangles. So there's a sin. We, We kind of know what the sin is. We know what sin is. If we've been following Jesus, if we read the Bible, it tells us quite a lot what we shouldn't be doing, what's sinful. And kind of deep down we know. Uh, we can look, if you want to look at the Galatians chapter 5, there's a whole list of things that it calls sins of the flesh. Things like uh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred and discord. And jealousy, I don't think that applies to fridges, Uh, fits of rage, (laughs) selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. It gives this whole list of things. And so it's quite clear what the sin is that slows us down. But there's this other group of things that aren't sin, but they are still weight. Weight that hinders us and stops us enduring and stops us making the progress that we should make. Um, It's not sin. But it still holds us back. But I think scripture again can help us try and define this. And there's again another famous passage uh, in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is giving a parable of this sower. And in this parable he tells us that the, a man, a farmer goes out to sow seed and some of the seed falls on a path and it tramples and birds come and eat it. And it tells us that some of this seed uh, falls on rocky ground and the plants wither because the roots are too shallow. And it tells us that some of the seed falls among thorns and it holds and there's roots there, but as they grow up, thorns grow with it and the thorns choke it. And then it tells us that some seed grows and uh, lands on good soil and grows and uh, matures a hundredfold. But what I want to look at is just one of those things and it's the, it's the thorn um, analogy here. It says, uh, let's just go back to previous, where is it? No, 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 no. We go back to the previous screen. There we go. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. Okay, so you hear the message, you hear the word of God, you make a decision, you say, yeah, I'm going to put my trust in, in Jesus, I'm going to follow that path. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit doesn't mature. I think this is a great way of looking at the weight that hinders. So you make that decision And you start to move in a direction. But there are things there, the the, the thorns that that choke us and stop us enduring. And um, So what things might these be? It talks about the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And these don't have to be sinful things. There's a lot of things in our life that can choke us, have the potential to choke us, that aren't sin. Um, Whatever takes more of our attentions, Whatever takes more of our affection, whatever takes more of our devotion than we give to God are the things that will choke us and stop us enduring. So some of the choices we might make are um, one of the biggest ones is to do with money. Money is an important area in our life and we know that we need money to, to live and having money itself is not sinful. But how much do you elevate the acquisition of wealth? Do you do you elevate it beyond what is healthy? Do you elevate it to a position next to God? Well, you can't. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, "You can't uh, love, uh, you can't serve both God and money." He doesn't say it's difficult to. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. And he said the reason he says it is because people do. It's a natural, it's a natural inclination. It's a human thing to do um, because it gives us security. But we all know, actually, also that it has no eternal value. Okay, something else you might serve, careers. Now again, doing the best in your job is not what I'm talking about. That's a good thing. We are told to do that. You know, we're told to, give, uh, to do our work as if we're doing it for God. And that's right. But if you make climbing that ladder your idol, if you make it, if that's what you're serving above everything else, then that weight is definitely slowing you down. It's hindering you money, careers, maybe it's relationships, um, your relationship with your girlfriend or boyfriend or wife or husband. If you make that the place of God, that's, gonna, that's not healthy and that's going to pull you down, it's going to pull you back, it's going to stop you enduring. This next one is one that, again, I have to face time and time again. It's entertainment and I think it's a, for a lot of people this is, this is one that gets us, this constant need and it's insatiable appetite. Be constantly entertained, and we're, we're encouraged in this so much. Television, movies, social media, um, you know, checking online, playing gaming, all these things can you could use all of your time doing this stuff, all of your spare time on this stuff, and miss out on what you could be doing. And I have to do myself is something that I have to challenge myself with. You know, is this the right thing to do right now, or could you be reading the Bible? Could you be. Uh, doing something of kingdom of eternal value. Thorn, it chokes us. Religion, you might think that's a strange one to bring up in church, but religion can choke us. We can get so caught up in the activity of being a Christian, missing out on the relationship of Jesus. It's so easy to do. I've done it so many times when you're just getting caught up in getting involved in doing stuff for church, uh, uh, doing things for God in a miss out on the relationship, that can choke us, that can weigh us down and that will hinder hinder us in the life that we, that we have um, with Jesus. So we've got to lay aside the sin and we've got to lay aside these weights so that we can run. Do we want to run or do we want to choke? Maybe you feel like, like I sometimes do, that I'm working so hard just to stand still. Maybe it's time that we took a look at what we're giving our lives to Maybe it's time we took a sober look at the time that we give to all these other things and think actually, if I laid some of these things aside, maybe I could run without that hindrance. Maybe I could run a better race. And it can be hard to make these decisions, but we need to remember that Jesus is greater. All those things we said, money, Jesus is greater than money. Career, Jesus is greater. Following Jesus and our journey with Jesus is so much greater than that. Our relationships, our human relationships, and our, this entertainment and religion. Jesus is greater than all those things, and it's worth enduring. I'm not trying to bring judgment on you. I'm not trying to be a killjoy. I'm trying to be a bring joy. I'm trying to bring eternal joy. And so these things, these other things, they don't bring eternal joy. Okay, they really don't. Easy to get caught up in them. But let's take some time this week to maybe think about some of the things that are, are slowing us down, some of these weights having said that it's not enough to just lay stuff aside we can't just lay aside the weights okay? that's not going to work um, a guy uh, a pastor called Thomas Chalmers uh, 200 years ago he wrote a thesis called the expulsive power of a new affection um, <coughs> the expulsive power of a new affection would you mind going forward Luke is that alright and in it uh, he talks about how it's impossible just to lay stuff aside, you have to take up something in its place. And there's this uh, quote from from his thesis, he says, Such is the grasping tendency of the human heart that it must have something to lay hold of, and which, if wrested away without the substitution of another something in its place, is going to leave a void and a vacancy as painful to the mind as hunger is to the natural system. The heart must have something to cling to. So in other words, you can't just lay these weights aside. You can't just put them aside without picking up something in its place. Fortunately, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us what to pick up. It says, Let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So we lay aside the weight and then we look to Jesus to fill the gap. He's got to fill the gap. I can't just get rid of my old cool box. I've got to replace it with a fridge. I need to stop that analogy right now. We replace the weight with something of even greater value. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Look, you've, you've laid this aside. You've got something of greater value. Keep going with it. Keep going. Jesus, he's the author. He's the pioneer. He's the starter of faith. And he's the perfecter. And he's the finisher of faith. He began it and he ends it. He started it and he'll finish it. We can have confidence in that. And that's where our faith comes in. In Philippians it says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He started that race. He's going to finish it for us. He's going to bring us through to the end. And so we can be encouraged by all those giants of faith, by the Abrahams, the Jacob, the Enoch, the Noah, the Rahab. That's brilliant. And they're all there. They're all cheering us on. Uh, It's fantastic. They all endured on their own journeys. But actually the real encouragement, the greatest example to us, the giant whose shoulders we're really standing on is Jesus. Is Jesus. We look to Jesus who is the starter and finisher of our faith. So, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy that was set before him, he endured. So there's that word endured again. So we're told to endure and it tells us that he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus had his own journey to go on, his own race that he started and that he completed. He finished his. Why? For the joy set before him. And the verse says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I love that image. I love that, that's a fantastic image of somebody finishing something and then sitting down. It's done. And if we look a couple of, pre- a couple of chapters previous in Hebrews, Uh, It says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So what happens is, you've got the priest who's standing there in front of the altar, and I have sinned, and so I come to the priest with my sacrifice, and say, look, I've sinned. This has got to be sacrificed to pay, to atone for what I've done wrong. And the priest kills The uh, sacrament kills the animal and um, I have some kind of atonement goes on and I walk away. And then a day later I'm back. Look, I've sinned again. I'm really sorry. We need to do this again. So the priest kills the animal. I'm uh, atoned for again and I walk away. An hour later, I've sinned again. I'm really sorry. Can we do it all again? And it goes on and it goes on. Why? Because we don't stop sinning. We keep doing the same things over and over again. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice himself for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So every priest kept standing because it never ended. Jesus ended it and he sat down. He went to the cross. He offered the perfect sacrifice for sins, his own body, which doesn't need to be repeated ever. Ever. There's nothing you do that's not already covered it's all, everything's already covered. it's already atoned for. And what did he do when he'd finished? He sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished. Shagin, would you mind joining us? And one day, we're going to be finished too. We're going to be finished. We're going to come to the end. We're going to have it completed. Uh, Also, it says in Ephesians, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now this, is what um, commentators and clever people say is a future occurrence, but with a, it's a present assurance. We have an assurance of this. We can have faith that this is going to happen. We are going to sit down with Jesus when it's complete. But not yet. We're not done yet. We've got a race. We're on a journey. We're on this. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep enduring. We haven't finished our journey yet. We've got to complete the race And we need to run with endurance. Finally, this last verse, verse 3 of chapter 12. Consider him, consider Jesus. Again, this word endure again. It's the same word used in all three times. Who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me tell you this. If you don't consider Jesus, if you don't look to Jesus, you are going to grow weary and you are going to lose heart you are going to fall into that. You are going to want to stop. You are going to want to go back because you're not looking to Jesus to uphold you and to be the perfecter and finisher of your faith. So we need to lay aside the cares and riches and pleasures of the world and we need to look to Jesus. We've got to consider the one who is greater than anything we've given up so that we don't grow weary, so that we don't lose heart, so that we keep running with endurance the race that is marked out for us. And if you're looking for an easy life, then this race isn't for you. This is not an easy race that we're running. Jesus never came to Abraham. He didn't come to Noah and say, I've got an assignment for you guys, but it's an easy one. I don't want you to go to too much trouble with this one. It's not going to take too much time. I know you've got other things to do. He never says that. He gives us, he gives us our destination. He says, this is going to be hard. This is not going to be easy. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you a helper. You can have confidence of that. And if you lay aside these things that are going to slow you down, we're going to get to the end. We're going to complete this and we're going to finish strong. Jesus did mention the word easy once. He says, um, uh, he said, uh, what did he say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy, heavy burdened, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word easy there is not a a circumstance word. It's not an assignment word. It's a soul word. We can have easy souls. We can have rested souls. It doesn't matter how difficult our circumstances are. If we're looking to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, our souls will be in complete rest. And we just sang it this morning. Uh, It is well with my soul. Is well with. Do you know who wrote those words? I know we've talked about it before. Those words are written by a guy called Horatio Spafford, who, when he wrote them, he was on his way on a, fa- on a boat from America to England, and he just heard that most of his family had been killed in the sinking of a ship. And he wrote, It is well with my soul. His circumstances didn't dictate the rest of his soul. He kept Jesus right at front and centre. And I'm not going to talk too much about the soul now. There's a great book that I would really recommend by an author called John Ortberg called Soul Keeping. And I know Rob's read it and I've read it and a few of the leaders have read it and Mark's reading it right now. It's an excellent book which talks about the health of our soul and I would really recommend it. Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. So we look to Jesus and we're going to find rest for our souls. We consider him. We're not going to grow weary and we're not going to lose heart. We're going to keep him front and centre and we're going to endure to the very end going to endure right to the end together together okay I'm just going to finish by reading these three verses again I'm going to read this you all stand with me Um, as I've been studying the book of Hebrews I like to read it in different translations so um, I've been reading it through the message uh, translation which sometimes brings new things to light and I loved these three verses from the message uh, translation we're gonna, I'm going to read this to you and then we're going to sing um, Jesus at the centre of it all if the band would like to come up, guys. Um, we're going to sing that and then we're going to try and make some kind of response which I think is important to do. So let's read this together. Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3 from the Message Translation. It says this. Do you mind putting it up, Luke? Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way All these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame whatever and now he's there in the place of honour right alongside God and when you find yourselves flagging in your faith go over that story again item by item that long litany of hostility that he plowed through and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls let's just sing this together and then uh, we'll come and make a response thank you so